on X. From e-scouting, finding your truck when you get lost in the woods, to getting permission. It's going to take you to the next level with landowner info to the areas that you think you'd like to go find ducks or grouse or whatever you'd like to hunt. So check them out on X. Get in the hunt and get that permission, baby. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel our dt systems baby dog tested and dog tough we've got those soft mouth dummies now listen everybody knows that we need more bumpers i'm not talking about one or two or three i'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire i like using white or black and white bumpers when i'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds you can get the orange ones i dig it but add a bunch to your repertoire and i'm again i'm not talking about three to six if you're working on t pattern if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds you need a bunch a dozen 18 the soft mouth dummies by dt can't be beat check them out lone dt difference let's go all right our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird let me help you help your dog bunch of different breeds bunch of different personalities start to finish teaching you how to do it links in the description What's going on and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, baby. We've got a really fun episode coming at you with Carlos Ramirez, a premier canine protection decoy trainer, handler, tons of life experience. Really fun to talk to him. We talked about classic and operant conditioning, which let's be honest, I'm not a scientist, or a dictionary. So he did an awesome job describing those things. We talked about drive capping and how to manage really high drive Labradors and personal protection dogs. And just heard his background story of how he got started in the game and how he came over here to the U.S. and all some really cool stuff. So really enjoyed talking with him. Really charismatic guest. Loved it. But first, do me a favor. If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy Instagram, if you enjoy YouTube, you will definitely enjoy Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Click the link in the description and join that community. Just like buying me and Kevin a beer. Next up, the Force Fetch course. Man, I get that it's the most asked question on Instagram is I think. Not sure if I want to force fetch my dog. Should I force fetch my dog? I've never done it. Da, 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 da. We built start to finish a course for any dog, any breed, any personality, too soft, not too hard, da, 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 da. 
it'll fit the bill and we walk you through it step by step by step so that you can do it. That link will be in the bio or in the description as well. So if you're interested, click that bad boy, join the Force Fetch course, join the Patreon, and let me help you with your dog. And then next up, from the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina. It's the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck. Adult dogs are on 3020. Young dogs are on the large breed puppy formula. So check them out. Feed the dog the best. They give you their all. You give them your all, baby. Next up, man's best kennel, the Gunner Kennel. Made in America, quality stuff, hands down. They are constantly innovating products that help us keep our dogs safe. In 2023, we're excited to do more with them. We're going to talk a lot more with them on the podcast, too. So stay tuned for 2023. Next up, Dogtra e-collars. The collar that's in my hand, on their neck, in my back pocket, on my truck, in my truck. Let's go, Dogtra e-collars. Great present for Christmas, birthday. You know, get a new puppy, get your hubby or your girlfriend, the Dogtra collar. Next up, shoot or shoot, baby. Mm, Bismuth. I've been slinging that bismuth downrange all duck season. Uh, Literally only in Texas did it not connect. And I disappointed myself with the, (laughs) I don't think it was the bismuth's fault. I think it was mine out in Texas. But everywhere else, I've been having fun shooting it. Uh, The Browning Satori shoots it well. So check them out on Instagram. It's Kent Cartridge. Next up. Smoke them if you got them, baby. The Traeger Grills. I got a venison backstrap from old Nubby that uh, I got here on the property this season. And I am going to sear it in my cast iron with a little bacon grease. And then I'm going to throw it on the Traeger for a few minutes to just internalize it, get a little smoke flavor. And that's what I'm going to eat for dinner before our Patreon Christmas party, baby. So I'm excited. Next up, Standing Stone Kennels, Standing Stone Supply. Our friends Kat and Ethan are the best, man. They have helped Kevin and I with our YouTube channel. They've helped Kevin and I with our Instagram. They've helped Kevin and I with this podcast. Just really, really good friends of ours. And they've built a company called Standing Stone Supply that gives you any, really anything you need for your dog, from collars to leashes to bumpers to uh, e-collars to, you know, bird traps for flinging pigeons you name it they've got it at standingstonesupply.com do me a favor if you're looking for something for your gun dog check them out first and lastly waypoint outdoor collective they keep us in tune with you and you in tune with us let's get in the show carlos welcome to the show thank you for taking time out of your day do me a favor tell everybody a little bit about yourself yeah thank you so much for having me man um, I'm just a Puerto Rican guy that, that loves dogs, you know. And um, so I started, actually, I got to come to the Ohio State University. That's how I ended up in the United States. I got a scholarship, and I used to play volleyball. I okay. used to play men's volleyball. Like, here in the States, it's a woman's sport. and But in the Caribbean, in South America, and Europe, it's huge, man. Like, it's big. So mm-hmm. since I was, like, 12 years old, I got to travel the world. I played in Spain, in Japan. I got to play everywhere. And a lot of times it was getting paid very well, like 80 grand for six months of playing. And I was 13 years old, 14 years old, you know? 
Dang. So and I got to send all that money. Yeah, I got to send all that money home. Plus, I got to play for free. I got to travel for free. I got to have fun with my friends, you know? So I didn't know, but I was living life like pretty damn cool back then. <laughs> yeah. And I was in Thailand um, doing the world championships when I was like 17. And then Ohio State happened to meet me there. And, and they offered us a scholarship. And I was like, well, I had to choose between going pro and then going to school. And then when Ohio State really approached me, it was a great opportunity to be able to go to school and still play, right? So mm -hmm. I did that. But after going to Ohio, man, I was there for one year. And I was like, nope, not for me. Not this <laughs> weather. Um, so then I ended up in San Diego and I just kept doing different things. And I never really could pinpoint what I liked, what I wanted to do. So I was in San Diego doing construction and I was doing extremely well. I went to culinary school, doing extremely well as well. And it was all always playing volleyball in the background, but just wanted to do something different. I've been doing it since I'm like 12 years old, you know, and I was kind of fed up with it. And then my family has Pasofino horses in Puerto Rico. And I was one like summer, I think I was back home, just hanging out, being home. And my grandma told me, you're not very good at training horses. Maybe you should train dogs or something. Just kind of joking, like straight up yeah. just making fun of me because I wasn't good with the horses. And and I was like, well, I'm going to look into it. And next thing, you know, one thing led to the other. And I went to the Tom Rose School. And then after that, it just kept going, man. I just started working more with law enforcement and military working dogs. And then it really took off. It really, really took off from there. What year was that? It was like 2000. 10 2011 around there okay when it all started really yeah it's that's like about 10, 11 years ago about the same time for me as well when i made the cool. leap yeah full time yeah that's cool so you did you move back to the u.s and you said tom rose yeah uh, i went to the tom rose school that is in missouri yeah. what is that like okay. there man it was it was a great experience for me because i didn't know anything about the dogs. I had, I didn't had an in in the dog world. I didn't know anyone. And I think it was back then the the social media stuff wasn't that big. Like being a popular dog trainer in social media, that, that was not a thing. No. That kind of started with us, you know? And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anything. So it was great to be able to go to a place and get that flood of information. It was, I was there like 10 months, I think. And I, I'll be honest, when I left, I knew a ton, but, Nowadays, if I was to do it all over again, I would just find an, a trainer, an apprentice mm -hmm. under them, 100%, because I would have gotten the same and I wouldn't have to pay as much as I did. It was pretty <laughs> expensive. It was like 30 grand after everything was said and done, you know? Oh, I mean, wow. for me, coming from Puerto Rico, that was a lot. Um, it's a lot for me, buddy. So, yeah, it still is a lot, exactly. So it was a lot of money at once, but it was definitely worth it, you know? Like, I put my, I put a lot into it. The last, like, month, in Missouri, I had to sleep in my car because they pretty much kicked me out of the dorms. Like, hey, we have a new class coming, man. You have to hurry up and graduate. And yeah. I was like, I'm not living. I'm not quitting. I'm not going to live until I'm done. So I spent like a winter in Missouri in the back of my my truck, man, with three oh, dogs. Man. Just me what and three dogs, yeah. What kind of dogs did you have back then? I had a Border Collie. I had a Malinois. And I had an English Bull Terrier that I brought with me to the school. It was just my pet. Yeah. And um and I I lived in the back of the truck. It was like I remember one day it was like ten degrees outside, and I was freezing. It was so bad. And I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, it's like ten degrees outside, and I gotta be honest, I'm sleeping in the truck. 
Like, um, you know, I'm thinking he's going to be chucked. And he's like, don't worry, I'll help you. Like two days later, he shows up a Sub-Zero sleeping bag no in the way. mail. <laughs> that That's was cool. his help. He was like, <laughs> you got to go through it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's nothing else. You have to go through it. Just get it done. If you want to hurry up, that call should inspire you to leave, you know? And he was right. I was like, all right, this got to stop. And I really started working on my dogs. And it, uh, I was able to finish and graduate. Good for you. What were the what was the course like in like a couple minute breakdown of what you got to experience yeah. there? So basically you get to first they teach you all the basics of like kind of how dog training works, a little bit of the uh, psychology part behind it. Not much. It was more learning hands on. And then you start with a puppy. They require you bring like five week old puppies. You need two of them to graduate. And then in the next like four months, five months, you end up doing the Think of the AKC obedient competitions, like the open, the utility, you know, all those steps. That's why you're, those are your testing. Okay. So they teach you how to teach your dog. And then you have your puppy goes out there and does it. If he does it, he gets scored. If he doesn't, then you don't pass. So it's oh, wow. not you passing tests. It's your dog, which is the best part, right? And that's why we, there was like 25 people when I started in the class. And we only like six of us graduated or eight of us. Because wow. everybody else just quits. It's super hard when you don't know anything to take a puppy to that level. And more when you, you're literally, you don't know anything. So sure. it was really hard and it took a lot of work. And just like everything, you know, in dog training, if you don't put in your work every day, it's going to show. It's super obvious. Yeah. So that's something that it was very difficult for a lot of people to be able to get through all that discipline, one thing after the other, you know. So, but yeah, we got through it. You do tracking, a lot of chits and stuff in the protection side. We did a lot of uh, some of the bird training as well. The retreats, directionals, we have to do all of those. And um, and then after that, if you're probably when they graduate, you're done. If you get chosen, then there's a master's program. That is like a second level program. And I, I was able to get into that and I finished that as well. And it's basically just asking more of the dogs. So yeah. if you finish in the basic level of AKC for the professionals course, for the masters, you have to take it all the way to a utility level, you know, to a utility and stuff like that. So it just got harder and harder, basically. Very cool. What uh, what made you transition from like the obedience side to protection sports and and the protection side? Man, it just is a bug, man. It's literally you get bitten by that bug, and it's it's hard to take it off. I I remember being in Missouri up there at the school and watching a guy named Jake Camp. He's a PSA decoy. And watching Jake with this dog coming at him like 40 miles an hour, you know, 35 miles an hour, hitting him full speed. And he catching the dog and putting the heat onto this dog. And the mm -hmm. dog lets go when he's told. And he's standing there looking at him wide open, wagging his tail. Like, let's do that again, you know. And I was like, that. I want to do that. Where do you yeah. sign up for that part of it, you know. And I'm from Puerto Rico, so I never had the hunting background. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm such an outdoors person. Like, I hunt. I just got back from Idaho. I was uh, steelhead fishing. Cool. Um, I Yeah, man. I love it being in the outdoors. I got an LTAC for next year for archery. I'm huge with my bow. And it's because we didn't have that in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And for us, like, I think so many Americans don't understand the privilege they have of stepping outdoor and getting your food. I live in a legit island where you can't hunt anything other than iguanas, bro. And like, let me tell you something that is a huge, if there was so many people that will be living a, li a little bit better if we could go catch our own food. Yeah. They wouldn't be eating mac and cheese from a can every day, you know, and stuff like that. They will be hunting. I bet you that. But we yeah. don't get that privilege. 
So here, the people that don't take advantage of it, I just don't understand because it's it's such a, a blessing to have a country like this that you have the resources to go out there and just catch food, man. Like, So yeah. I'm huge into it. That, that's something that I love, but I never had that growing up. So I didn't have the whole using the dog to go hunt with you, right? I had the dog protecting the house thing. That's okay. what we had. Yeah. You know, we had Rottweilers, we have pit bulls, the very stereotypical Hispanic dogs, huge dogs in the house that said, do not come in here. Yeah. Next house, right? That's what we cared. That the dogs told the guy, wrong house, buddy, look next, you know, look to the next door, not this one. That's sure. all we care that the dogs did. So when I was able to see all these other things that people are doing with dogs, it was like pretty amazing, you know, and that's one of my biggest, what you guys do is, it's funny because we have a joke in the law enforcement side that we all start thinking we're the super cool things and we all end up asking for your guys' help with our hunting dogs. It's, really, it's the only place. I feel the same way about you guys. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, get, I I went to the canine street league and they're all asking me questions. I'm like, dude, that's yeah. just, that, that's no big deal. Yeah. Like you yeah. getting them to do that is wild. Yeah. And so it's just like yeah. this fun back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it comes because a lot of what we do is genetic. Right. Right. Like the dogs are doing it. Like that's about the part. Like the strongest dogs that I work with, like if I'm working with like tier one special forces dudes that were working with very serious stuff, the dogs are doing most of it. Like genetically doing it. We're just literally, it's like saying a, a border call is hurting a, a, a pack of, of whatever, right? Like cows or whatever, a herd of cows. And, and the, the trainer goes like, yeah, I did that. No, you didn't. You selected the right one and then just let him do it a little more. But he had it, right? Now grab a golden retriever off the pound and then do that. Then I'll say you're a good dog trainer, right? Yeah, it's a good point. So, but we're starting with dogs that are running automatic, man. That's why like people see me now and the stuff that I can train my dogs to do now. And they're like, you're amazing. And I'm like, not now. Now I'm, now I'm actually a worse trainer than when I started. Now I have the best genetics in the country. Right. This, this is this is like a Tesla driving itself. I don't right. have to do anything. When I started 11 years ago, I had the leftovers. And what I did with those dogs, that was that was really dog training, right? The dogs yeah. we have now, man, they're so good. The genetics I have access to now, it's just they train themselves. They do everything. It's a That's a super valid point that I had a discussion with my assistant trainer about is like, I, I, I still will train any dog, right? But I have been blessed to start getting better quality Mm -hmm. dogs, better genetics, better raising of the puppies. And so they, they get to me at a higher level, just up here in the brain where she may get the dog that, you know, I don't need to train. She needs to train. And so the, the quirks, the, the weird behaviors, the, mm-hmm. the the issues that we've got to deal with is going to make her better in the long run, for sure. Exactly. That's called, I call it the unexpected, right? It, it's the one thing you don't have something in your tool bag for that you're like, whoa, wait, I didn't see that before. That's right. right. It's the unexpected that gets you. But that's what makes you a good dog trainer. That's like, that's what made me who I am. It's that like when I came down here to Florida after school, I was like, hey, I want to be a decoy. I want to train all these these aggression dogs and everybody that had good dogs were like, who are you again? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to work my dog. No, you're not going to touch my dog. But then there was somebody else that told me like, Hey, that decoy fired me because my dog is not good enough. He said, my dog doesn't have what it takes, but I want to do bite work. And I was like, okay, bring him down. I'll work that dog. Mm-hmm. And then after like eight months to a year of working, the dog did bite. 
right? And yeah. it was like, oh, well, that worked. I learned right. something new, right? Yeah. And then that's what really makes you a good dog trainer is that. Absolutely. Yeah, the ones that challenge you to think outside of the box that don't do it like exactly. everybody else makes you better. Absolutely. Bingo. So you you left the Tom Rose School. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you go and work with, because uh, you've done the tier one, like special forces dogs. How did you get into that funnel? So that's something that it just, it's literally just happening in the last like six months, eight months that I've been more involved with these guys. Um, I've been out with them a couple of times to the base, you know, and, and run a couple of trainings with them, like week long trainings that I did just for them. Um, so, but it really all started when I came down here back to Florida after going to the Tom Rose school happens to me, man. And this is what I tell everyone that's like, Hey, I want to do exactly what you've done. I want how do I get there? Luck, just straight up luck, being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Sure. I made the most out of the opportunities I was given, but I was given those opportunities because I happened to be the guy that was there. Mm-hmm. There was nothing special about me. You know, it wasn't because, oh, this guy's so good. Let's bring him over. No, I was the one that was there. So um, right in the area where I moved to, there was a person that owned a kennel. Now, this guy is a scumbag, like literally one of the worst people in the, in the community. But I didn't know that back then. He was the only person who owned a kennel. And to this kennel on the weekends came a guy named Wayne Dodge. And mm-hmm. this guy named Wayne Dodge. He would come on the weekends and he owned a construction company, but he was a very good decoy. And people came, brought their, their dogs over and we did bite work. You know, we did a class on the weekends and I saw him and I was like, I want to learn from him. And somebody told me that guy was the one who trained the dogs for Mike Ritland in the West Coast when they had the Navy SEAL program. And I was like, what? That guy? Like, man, he's a construction worker. And he's like, yep, he's really good. So I, I apprenticed under him. I kind of got it's a pretty funny story, but I got whooped in an abandoned strip club. Like they were using <laughs> it for training. Yeah, they were using it for training. And we went in there just to do bike work one day. And the guy whooped me. Like three guys jumped me. They made me jump where the suit dogs were biting me. I was puking. My new girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, we were dating for like three days. And I got beat up. Like I was bleeding from my lip. I had a black <laughs> eye. I got whooped in front of her. It was, and then after they were done, they're like, okay, you can come back next weekend. And yeah, that was like, oh, like great. my initiation. I was like, <laughs> okay, at least something came out of that, you know? So um, after apprenticing with him for like two years, one day, I'm not kidding, I'm sitting in my living room and my phone rings and it's a number from Texas. And sure enough, it was Mike Ritland. He mm-hmm. called me and he's like, hey, I need someone to come over and literally run my facilities. Do right, you want to do it? And I was like, yes, sir. I was there like three days later. I packed everything I had got in a car and I left and I even told my girlfriend we were new we were dating I was like hey I got this opportunity I have to go and she's like let's go we packed everything together and she moved with me and then I was out there with him for like two years and I Mm -hmm. I, like I did everything all the training everything with him and I trained all his dogs so after that one day he's his man he I owe him so much in my career one day I told him like, hey, boss, I need a raise. You know, me and my wife are getting serious. And he said, no, you need to go open your own business. I'm going your own. I'm not going to give you any more raises. And I was like, are you serious? They're like, come on. And he's like, no, do I need to fire you so you can go on your own? You're like, you need to take a, a risk, you know? And wow. he legit told me you either quit or I'll fire you right now. And I was like, all right, I'll quit. And I'll move back to Florida and start my own stuff. And he gave me a recommendation letter. And he told me, here, get a job anywhere you want. And gave wow. me that recommendation later. And I chose to come down and just kind of go on my own first. 
And what I did was, as soon as I got back, I went to all the local law enforcement departments and I told them, whatever you guys need, I'll train for free. I'll work your dogs for free. And here where I am in Marion County, Florida, the, the sheriff's department gets a lot of work with the dogs, man. These guys are like, you can just go on Facebook and look up Marion County canine unit and you'll see pretty much all of their bites. The sheriff is awesome. He backs the blue, like he backs his canine guys like crazy. So all the bites are on Facebook. They get a lot of backup. So I got lucky that I happened to live in one of the most active areas in the U.S. for actual canine bites. Like these sure. guys are getting three and four bites a week and they have like nine dogs. So Dang. there's like 30, yeah, there's like 30 people getting bit every week in my county. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so hang on, how... how- Pardon me. How who how do they not That's work? Okay. Awesome? It, it's a share. If it's that prevalent, I feel like it yeah. would be known that like just no, they're gonna bite oh, you. No. Stop it. Oh no, it's share stupidity, man. They bite the same people twice. <laughs> They'll bite the same person twice. Absolutely. It's yeah. just not smart people, right? And they, something we have here is everybody runs. Everybody runs. I feel like in the inner cities and somewhere else. Everybody gives up. Like, I traveled the entire United States doing seminars everywhere in the U.S. I was just in Arizona, in Maricopa County, like, two weeks ago, a week ago. And everybody gives up. That's what they tell me. They're like, I get there with the dog. And they're like, no, no, please don't bite me. Here in Florida, like, the don't Florida man sees a dog. Yeah, and they're like, I'm going to outrun him. Like, they just, the Florida man, you know what I mean? And it's something that they get so much work out here that I had a very unique opportunity that everything we tried on the dogs, you know, everything we practiced, we were able to try it the next day. Wow. Right. So we tried something with the dog. The very next night, the the handler will come back and tell me like, bro, that worked like a charm. Let's nice. do that again. Or they will tell me like, nope, that didn't work. Let's not do that again. So mom got bit that shouldn't have gotten bit. You know what I mean? Or something like that. So it's not like the other departments that when they train something, it took them a year before that dog got a bite and the dog already forgot everything in training. No, we actually practice something tonight. It's getting used tomorrow like that fast. Or even in training, I had guys in the middle of training, get a call and jump in the car and go bite someone and come right back to training and be like, yeah, it worked. I just (laughs) did it. You know? So like having that crazy opportunity, it like immersed me in the canine in the canine world for law enforcement like it was putting my feet deep i got to go and ride along it's like i got to see it firsthand you know wow. so like these guys were really getting after it and um after that i started traveling like all the departments started noticing like hey what are these guys doing what are they getting so, so much work and me and the head trainer for the unit the time is jay next uh jeremy we started we got involved with Canines United, which is a big nonprofit that pays for training. So they travel, you know, they, um, we travel across the U.S. and we give free training for departments. So after all of that, we go to travel all across the U.S. and then the name started spreading, right? Like we got a little bit more people to know who we are. And then after that, man, the military one day called me. We did a big symposium in Colorado and I got to meet a bunch of them. They were like, yeah, they liked what we did. Then that same, the following week, we were doing another seminar just for law enforcement. They sent a couple of their guys just to come and watch what we were doing. And then it took off from there. Then we started working with the special forces guys from the army specifically. We've been working with them. And man, they got their stuff figured out. And that's something that it's very difficult for us because it's very different to work from law enforcement to what those guys do. 
And let's right. just leave it at that. They don't carry handcuffs. Right. Right? So it completely changes the apprehension. Because with law enforcement, we train to someone's watching and these guys need to go back in the patrol car and they're going to give an explanation of what's happening. The military just don't do none of that. They have right. a completely different set of rules. So what we do in training is completely different for them. What we're allowed to do is obviously there's no rules. So it's a completely different set of training that we do for them. So in basics, it's similar, you know, what we're looking at of the dog and stuff like that. But law enforcement has the short end of the stick for sure. That was going to be my next question for you is as you have progressed in the, the dogs, right? What have you seen across the board as far as like the police dog? And I don't want to use the word quality versus a different dog, but kind of like we were talking about my assistant is getting those dogs. I'm getting these dogs, you know, the tier one is getting these dogs. Mm -hmm. Where are the, where are they getting them from breeding wise? And how are those dogs being raised to get the most out of them? Okay. So that's something that it's, it's, a lot of people like to put a lot of romanticism into it. Like these dogs are bred. It's a contract they get with a large vendor that imports their dogs from the U- from the Europe. Like that's it. There's no, like the special forces guys are dictated. Like everything else from the government is a contract, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like two or three very large vendors in the U.S. for canines, supplying canines to the, to the military. So they get their dogs from there, period. But mm-hmm. those vendors that they get their dogs from, those companies, have very specific selection tools, right? So when they go overseas and they buy 200 dogs, because it's not just the special forces team, then you also have the military, the MP guys, right? And yep. MP is a completely different tier of dog that they need than the, what the special forces guys need. So when they're testing through these hundreds and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dogs, sometimes they come across that one that you're like, oh, this guy's different. So they set him aside. Right. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how it goes. They find these very, what we call them unicorns, you know, that are very specific dogs. And then they get set aside for these special forces guys. And then they go and they select from those. What makes a unicorn in your eyes and their eyes? It, it's a dog that sees a grown man and says, I'll take him. No hesitation, no questions asked. It, they see a grown man and you, you see the dog and you're like, okay. He has no problem turning me up. And not just because their life is at risk. No, they're doing it for fun. Right. They're doing it because it's fun to hurt people. Right. And whenever you have a lot of times that we get the ones that the vendors are like, this dog is a bastard. I can't have him. I'm about to literally put a bullet on his head. So, Mm -hmm. and we're like, no, we'll take him. He's my guy, you know? And, and that's actually a, a very big talking point in the, in the canine world because that dog that sees a grown man and he's like, I'm not one bit worried about you. I know I can kill you. We have to train him. And yeah, we exactly. have to teach him. We have to teach him. You have to listen to your handler. It's not always the way you want. You know, there's control. You have to control yourself. And they don't like that. And that's the part where everybody wants a man eater until it's time to live and deal with a man eater. Because what I tell everyone, the handler is also a man, right? Right. Or a woman. So it's something you have to keep in mind that you have, that's where progressive training technique techniques come into play. Right. Like, so let's talk um, about those, right. Let's talk about mm-hmm. some of the, taking that dog. Cause that is interesting to me too, is the dog that wants to eat everybody wants to, you know, mm-hmm. take a shot at the title. 
how are you putting a, a lead on that dog and saying, hey, buddy, you know, it's time to go to work with me today. You know, is yeah. it a one man, one dog thing or can that dog learn to be passed around and worked with? No. So the the true, true, real dogs are mostly one person type dog. Right. And the the first thing that you have to do is check your ego at the door. That's the first thing. And it's the hardest thing for most alpha type military guys and law enforcement dudes. Because I and I say this to all my guys, everybody that's alpha rolling a dog or trying to be dominant over a dog, they put a muscle on the dog first. Nobody's doing it for real. You know what I mean? Right. So you're not proving nothing. Right. You're just fishing that dog. While I have equipment on you, you can do nothing to me. But eventually you have to take that equipment off. It's mm -hmm. coming off at one point or another. And I have multiple stories of dogs that have literally retired tier one personnel because they were doing obedience with them a little too harshly. They put a muscle on them, and the second the muscle came off, the fight started. Exactly. And then it's on because right. they're bred and trained for this. So when I, I have a funny story about that. When I first went to work with Ritland, we were at the Warrior Dog Foundation, and the Warrior Dog Foundation is literally those dogs that we wanted because they were tier one, the top of the top. They were too much. And even those guys are like, we can't handle him, so they need to go somewhere. So they go to the Warrior Dog Foundation. And then Ritland told me, those dogs need to be trained. They need to be rehomed in a couple months. So just teach them some basic obedience. And I was like, all right, where's the prong collars? And he laughed. He's like, what? The prong collars? Oh, you're planning on putting a prong collar? Man, let me go get a drink and I sit down and watch this. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, why? And he's like, they're not going to let you put a prong collar on them. Right. And I'm like, yes, they are. They're dogs. And he's like, oh, buddy, you have so much to learn. And I was like, man, I'm 6'4". I weigh almost 200 pounds. That 70-pound dog is not going to punk me. And he's like, oh, you're about to learn. You're yeah. about to learn so much. And I did. I got a couple holes in me. I learned. And then I realized they're really not the bastards that you think they are. They're just being treated unfairly since they were like 10 weeks old. Right? Because they were so that, hardcore, though. Because they're hardcore, exactly. they're being, yeah. And people think that that's the way to treat a hardcore person. But we don't do that to hardcore individuals. Like I have multiple tier one special forces friends. And I guarantee you not one of them are we going to be treating around like a punk. Everybody treats them with respect. It's not in a confrontational way. It's just this known fact that that person can hurt you if they choose to. Right? So everybody acts very well around them. Mm -hmm. Every dog should be treated like that. Because I'm telling you, right? And I'm talking about including your bird dogs that are not bred to bite people. Because every animal, and I'm telling you, even a cat, can hurt 99% of population on, on this planet Earth. Because humans are soft, extremely soft. And these animals are not. Haven't you seen like a stray dog dragging his leg because a car hit him? And he's just walking yeah. around like no one business versus we cut our toenails too short and we almost limp for a week right <laughs> so it, it's something that people lose out of perspective that you think you're tough because the dog is allowing you to be tough because he's allowing you to be disrespectful to them so once you start treating these dogs like you would treat a tier one personnel then you start seeing a completely different animal. And not just that, the type of dogs you get to train with and work with goes off significantly because now you can work with dogs that are serious. So let me ask you a question. How, how do you go from, okay, I respect you. 
dog to putting a leash in it and and walking that dog i mean like what is that process of integrating a dog into warrior dog foundation that Perfect. is having you know I, like i listen to his podcast and i i follow mm-hmm. him a, enough to know that some of these dogs are like almost ptsd and reactive yeah. and had too much stimulation too many live bites whatever the case may be mm-hmm. that now you get hired to say okay let's start teaching him to be a house dog like mm-hmm. you might respect the hell out of him but if he doesn't allow you into his space or want to be trained how do you work through that yeah so there's always resources that they need right there's resources they want and there's resources they need and as long as we control those the dog needs you and that's how we work right so obviously food is that they need it um and we control that that comes from me 100 percent of the time so but the it all began with setting expectations right there are some dogs that we knew is never going to go into a home that has kids, regardless mm-hmm. of how good our training is, right? That mm-hmm. one is a one person. Maybe if there's a wife, it might work out, but definitely no kids, right? Versus right. there's other ones that were like, man, I'll trust that dog with a adult kids. If they have teenagers, it will probably work out, right? So we had to set the expectations right from the beginning. But then after that, the process there was very simple. And I'm not joking, the military will pull up to the kennel with a pickup truck and a rough man in the back, or just a 700, a plastic 700 in the back. Yeah. They will pull that up to a run, open the crate like this, going over very carefully, open <laughs> the door, the dog will shoot inside the run, and two military dudes will shut the gate and say, all right, thank you, get on the truck and leave. No and way. those dogs will be at the gate chewing the, the fence, just like squeezing the fence, making the holes bigger. And you're like, man, I hope that gate holds on. And then for like two or three days, I'd go hand feed them. And like Ritland feeds a very good, like raw food that, that he feeds the dogs. And they're trying to, they don't want to even eat. They just want to tell you, get away from the kennel. And I'm like, right. okay, I keep doing that. I, I go to feed you. You don't want me to feed you. That's fine. Until eventually one day he's licking their lips and you're like, okay. And you give them food. And then now they associate you with food. And then eventually, the way his kennels are set up, after we've been doing that for like two weeks, I just opened the run and I let them out, completely let them out loose. Just go run. There's like 20 acres. I don't mm-hmm. care where you go. Just take off. And I started hosing, scrubbing the kennels, you know, cleaning like normal. But the dog knew now that every time that I walked by, he got, they got food, you know. So then after I'm done cleaning, I threw a huge block of raw food in there. Boom. And they will go crazy. They will run in there and do it. So, and they get in this routine to the point that, I have to lock myself in the run to be able to clean because they're dying to go back in because I know there's food coming out after we're done. Yeah. So once you have them there, once you can let them out and they can come back into the run, the rest of that is just where the food comes from. Instead of putting it on the floor, I put it in a pouch and I feed them in the in the field where I just go for a walk, picking up dog poop with a scoop, you know, mm-hmm. and I put my training pouch. And every time the dog approach me, click, food, and I'll walk away. The dog approach me, click, food, and I'll walk away. And after like a week, the dogs are next to you, wagging their tails, begging you, like, please give me some of that food, you know? And then there, then you start training, you start shaping sits, downs, heels. And after you have all of that figured out, it's all classically conditioned, man. We classically condition the behaviors to the point that it's not me. He's doing it. His body's putting that butt on the ground and he doesn't even know why. Same with Mm -hmm. the front elbows. They're slamming into the ground and they're looking at me like, how did I get here? But I don't care. Just give me food. I know it works, right? So we use training and the science that we know to not have to like manhandle these dogs in order to get them what we want. 
We can free shape all the behaviors we needed. And then with enough repetitions, I put an e-collar on them. And then the e-collar was not me. So you cannot associate it with me like a prong that I'm literally pulling on the leash. Then they're coming up the leash and then it's all game on. No, the collar was just putting a collar. It took me like three weeks to put a collar on a dog, right? And then once I have the e-collar on, it's game on. Because now everything that the dog already knew, I'm just doing so much of it with a very low tap on the e-collar to the point that it's classically conditioned behavior. He's not even thinking about it. So when I have to up the e-collar and get him at a higher level, it wasn't me. It was just the behavior. It's just a sensation. They already understand. So I never associated anything negative coming from me. Anything that a correction, none of that was not me. You know, only you. the good came from me. So let's, you just brought it into a, a part that we mm-hmm. said we were going to talk about classic yeah. and, and operant conditioning. And you also brought in free shaping. So can yes. you maybe for people who don't know that are tuning in, describe what those things are? Of course, of course. And this, and I'll start with saying, and this is one of the, most argumentative you know topics you can get on social media is classical conditioning and operant conditioning and it is because there's so many ways to look at it and to to apply it but this is what i always tell everyone that i'm talking to right is classically conditioned is learning by association it's just something is so repetitive that you associate you know what's happening and operant conditioning is learning by consequence did it work or did it not work for the dog period that's that's what it comes down to and in classical conditioning there has to be a very specific order of events for the dog to understand that and associate it right so and that's where people get so confused like no it's an opera and it's a classical listen it's very easy is the cue happening before the act or after the act right if it's before the act it's classical conditioning if it's is if it's after the act then it's operant because it's a consequence so can you give an example in terms yep. of sit or kennel, like place? Yep, exactly. Absolutely. So whenever we say sit, right, you say the word sit, it means nothing to a dog. It means right. absolutely. I can use hamburger. That's why dogs can train in so many different languages because the sound doesn't matter, right? So the sound happens, and then we need to have a way to make the dog put his butt on the ground. Everybody does that by just raising food. Mm-hmm. You raise food, the dog has to look up, the butt touches the ground. It's very straightforward. It needs to happen in a very specific sequence where I say the word that means absolutely nothing to the dog, followed by the action of putting their butt on the ground, which causes the, the consequence, right? Which is a, a reward. They get food or whatever they're going for. When you repeat that enough times, that's very specific sequence, and you say the word sit, the dog is going to beat you to put in their butt on the floor. Because Mm -hmm. you've done it so many times that he's like, I know what's coming next, right? So because what I'm trying to condition is the cue, the word sit. That happens before the action. That happens before the dog puts his butt on the ground. That's classical conditioning, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the reward, since the dog did what I wanted, I produced something he wanted, right? Food, a toy, whatever. That happened after the fact. That happened after he put his butt on the ground. That's why it's it's operant conditioning. Okay, it's just a consequence of his actions, and that's where a lot of um, a lot of people get a little. Um, sorry, let me stop this here. Okay, there you are. So, um, a lot of people get very argumentative on that, you know, and there's so many ways to see it, but it's because we all learn science in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can, your school taught it different than my school did, 
And then we learned this from other dog trainers who are not even teachers at all. And they're mm-hmm. telling us like the watered down version of how to do this. Sure. And it's like, well, you learned it from another person, right? And this is a side note, like a joke that I always say. That's why men are so bad at figuring out what women like. It's because we <laughs> learn from other men. Right, right, right. Because, no, but we never ask a woman, right? We always right. ask other men. Somehow we're figuring out what a woman thinks. But anyway, it's the same. We didn't ask a, a science teacher to teach us this. It was right. some other dog trainer guy who all he knows is leashes and e-collars. So, sure. like, it, that's where it comes from, right? But when that's the way I like to see classical conditioning is, is this pairing of signals that means nothing to a dog to an action, right? It's something that means nothing to a dog. How can I pair that to an action? Right, like for you guys, you want the dog to go left. You lift your left arm, right? Like it means mm-hmm. lifting your left arm means nothing to a dog, unless right. you condition that a million times with something you know he's gonna do, like run left. So mm-hmm. once you do that, they associate it. But I always like to look at it that way. Classical conditioning is learning by association. Operant conditioning is learning by consequence. So. Um... Could it, now that is the consequence a positive consequence is like earning a treat or could it be consequences like I you don't sit I pull up on the lead butt hits the ground I relax mm-hmm. the lead and now reward. It can be either or it can be and that's the consequence it doesn't matter if good or bad you know and I feel like that's something that a lot of people in operant conditioning get confused because the words positive and negative are in there right and for us automatically and more when it comes to animals we think good or bad. Right. Oh, positive is good. Negative is bad. That is not at all what he's talking about. It's like math. It's right. adding and subtracting. So think yeah. about positive and negative on a math context, right? You add something, it's a positive thing. You're adding something. But you can add something bad. Like when I was growing up and I did something wrong, my mom added a flip-flop. She was very good at adding flip-flops. <laughs> you know what I mean? So she added that to the equation. It was adding sure. that flip-flop, right? So, and it's the same with like punishment when you lost your cell phone, your parents took away your cell phone to punish something, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same that we're doing. That's, that's all operant conditioning. It's a okay. consequence of your actions, right? So whenever we put those two together, if we put negative and positive as math, that means adding or taking something away. And then the other part is obviously reinforcement or punishment. And those are pretty self-explanatory. Reinforcement makes the behavior happen more often right it happens more versus punishment makes the behavior decrease the likelihood of it happening it makes the behavior go away so once you're doing something think about it from that perspective the consequences on your dog is my dog going to want to do that again or not did something was added or not and we always use the example of the seatbelt what happens in your car when you get in and you don't put on your seatbelt it starts dinging starts dinging that annoying ding right Mm-hmm. But when you do what the car wants, what happens? It Turns goes off. away. Yep. And that thing has trained population to put it on the seatbelt better than any traffic infraction ever did. That's a great point. Everybody. Man. Yeah. Everybody puts on their seatbelt right now because that, and there's no $20. Nobody's giving you 20 bucks for putting it on. Nobody's throwing Skittles at you. You're doing it because the annoying thing is so bad that the entire population trained is trained to put on their seatbelt. And so that's how powerful that quadrant is. Dude, right? That it's was a, a phenomenal analogy. Quadrant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's a very powerful quadrant. It's so powerful that it trained all of us. And yeah. that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And they're doing it constantly. That's our biggest uh, argument with 
purely positive trainers that you're not purely positive. Right. You're, 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 what you're saying sounds good because it makes your feelings feel good. But what you're doing, like I, I had an argument with a lady not that long ago. And she said, well, you don't know what you're doing. My dog, all he needs is for me, if he doesn't do what I want, he doesn't get a treat. And I was like, so that's negative punishment. And she's like, no, not negative because he's not hungry. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you just don't understand what you're talking about, right? right. And I try to educate her and I'm like, listen, there's specific terminology. Like if you want to talk in a different context, then I get it. It's good or bad, whatever. But in operant conditioning, if we're talking science, you just literally practice negative punishment. And she's like, but, no, I didn't. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like, I'm not arguing. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I understand. Well, you also probably aren't going to win many battles with those folks anyways, buddy. No, there no. isn't. No, you just, it's, not, it's not about winning. It's about arguing, right? That's exactly right. I don't even monkey yeah. with it. I, I'm no. knock on wood. Nobody bothers me about that stuff. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we do a lot in my training is, and I would like to learn on maybe different techniques, is we do use a lot of compulsion, right? Mm -hmm. So if I deliver, if I give a command that's been taught and shaped and like we've built the foundation and now I want to use the collar to create a speedy, uh, a quicker response to the command. Mm -hmm. So like sending a dog to a pile and then delivering to hand or stopping quick on a whistle and casting. Um, well, not, I wouldn't say and casting. I would just say, go stop those kind of things. I'm creating mm -hmm. compulsion with the collar. The faster you go, the faster it's turned off. The faster you sit, the faster it's turned off. Um, that kind of compulsion, is that ever used in the protection sports or Absolutely. in with those dogs? Or Because I almost think like when they start feeling that kind of, like you can use a low level or you can get up there. And I, I do like to teach a dog how to handle higher pressure so that it's not mm -hmm. stressful when they get there. Yeah. Right. So I, I'll we, scale up, scale down. Yeah. And we do the same. And but I think something new that we have been trying, and I don't know if you guys see it in this way as well. We're not using the e-collar as a brake pedal. We're using it as an acceleration method. Yeah. That's okay, what we do. 100%. Yep. And because a lot of people see that and they, for example, they hear what you're saying and they will think, well, the dog is probably going faster because he doesn't want the e-collar because it's bothering him. So he wanted to stop. You're using it incorrectly if that's the case. Correct. Right. It's something that in, because of classical conditioning, like, like we were talking about earlier, um, I can condition my dog for like, like a send out, let's say, right. Yep. Like we're going to send the dogs. We do that in. Actually, there's a very specific dog that the military military buys. It's called an SSD. It's a specialized search dog. And it's the, actually the highest paid dog that you can sell to the military. It's like mm -hmm. the most expensive dog the military will buy. Write that and down, all Kevin. It is, it's a, yep. And all it is is a bird dog. 100% is nothing Hell else yeah. but a bird dog. Come the on, dog baby. has to go like 300 yards on a sand, sit, look at you, and you send him on directional searches for explosives. That's it. Nothing else. So... And he's the highest paid tier of dogs. I'm not kidding. Look it up. It's called an SSD for the. I'll sell them all, baby. I'll sell them all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I have I start with a dog that wants to go out, Correct. that wants to run out there, right? So let's say I put a plate with food at the end of the field or something that he's dying to run down there. 
So now when I know the dog right before I let him go, I tap the e-collar at a very low level. I start mm -hmm. tapping, 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 and then I let them go. Eventually, after I do that enough, he associates that feeling with going as fast as he can downfield, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about the e-collar is that we can graduate it, that we can turn it up and down. So yeah. the signal that tells him go fast, I can make the signal telling him go faster. Yeah. Does that make sense? But at the end of the day, still telling him go, go, go. It's that's not how we that's stop. how we do it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And they, when when we're working with that way, the dogs love the tools. Mm -hmm. They like my dogs, I bring out the e-collar and they start wagging their tails. They're like, yes, the fun is about to start, right? That's right. And that's always my biggest argument when I tell people that hate the, the training tools. I'm like, listen, you don't understand. My dog loves the e-collar like your dog loves the leash by the door. It's That's right. the exact same thing. When I grab it, they go nuts. So yeah. it depends on how you use it, right? And how you associate it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I would say, in essence, that's a very similar way. So we call it force to a pile, right? So we, mm -hmm. we, we teach them how to build that compulsion and what it means and how to be successful. And, and through that sex, they, success, they become more confident and motivated to turn it off and, and then yeah. they get rewarded at the end with the bumper, right? Of and course. so you you build a process to get there. And then, yeah, we can send them anywhere we point mm -hmm. them to. Exactly. That's and sweet. that's the e-collar e also breaks through distractions, right? Like mm -hmm. the dog can get distracted with something else. The e-collar will always win. That's, that's right. distraction. So you can get them back to work. Like, for example, something that we do is when we're tracking for humans, right? Like mm -hmm. the dog is following human scent. Well, sometimes, you know, you're running your track. People run by that one tree in the neighborhood that everybody goes to the bathroom in. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I call it like, um, I have a very good friend of mine, Justin Rigney, that calls that like social media for dogs. That's like a doggy Facebook. Yeah. Everybody goes into that tree. They check in. They pee on it. They see what the neighbor, what's happening in the neighborhood. So my police dog is following this like felon that is ready to go to jail. And they're like, oh, look. Like Fluffy was here from last week and they start yeah. checking up on the tree. I have conditioned the e-collar that when they feel that e-collar, it means go back to tracking. That's right. Go back, find the odor, right? Go back to source. But sometimes the Fluffy that pee on there is in heat or something like that. So it's a very big distraction. Yeah. I have to have a tool that can match that distraction and pass it to tell him get back to work. And then that's where the e-collar comes in. I just turn it up a couple levels and I do it until the dog goes like, oh, get it, go back to work, right? Yeah. And so that's that's the beauty of it, that we can graduate and match the distraction, whatever it is, the distraction. What e-collar do you like to use? So, man, a lot, um, right now I'm working a lot with e-collar technologies. Mm -hmm. It's for me, the most user-friendly and the technology they're coming out with is is pretty popular. It's, I feel like know, it's that, the best. yeah. I feel like that brand is very popular in the protection sport world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think that a lot of trainers, we like them because when we started um, and we were broke, uh, the other companies will ask for like five, $6,000 worth of a purchase for you to be a vendor versus e-collar technologies send you right up and send you a, a password and you were good yeah. to go. Nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so it's, they supported us. So I feel like everybody supports them too. Very cool. Nice. Um, all right, so let's talk about you have like a viral video, and then I'll let you go because I know we're getting closer hour. But you have a viral yeah. video that basically you're working on a, a a dog, you're working with a dog, 
and it's on uh, the table. What are those things called? Mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, bike table. A bike bike table. table, right? So the dog is being restrained back. You're presenting the arm. Dog bites. And you are trying to promote a good grip. A dog that digs mm-hmm. in versus pulls back and all that. So you're working yep. this dog. Can you describe the the reasons why and your reaction to the dog in a timely manner to get it rewarded and then maybe how we can parlay it into a gun dog? Absolutely. So first of all, we use that table. We call it the bite table. And we use it like a sort of Skinner's box. Do you guys use that term as well, right? The Skinner's box? In, in No? Okay. So B.F. Skinner is the father of operant conditioning, right? He's the one who started operant conditioning and who did all of that. And he had these boxes that he created where he would put a rat inside of it. And he had the levers with the lights and the, the, the beep. And when the light uh, came on, the, right? That box that he did all his operant conditioning. Gotcha. Um, experimenting on. So us in dog training, in, I mean, in the canine world, right? We call a Skinner's box to anything we can use to isolate behaviors. Okay. So if, I, and you guys use it too. I'm sure when you're going to teach a retrieve, you don't start the retrieve in a room full of a bunch of loose dogs. Right. You start in a sterile environment, probably on a table, so the dog can't go anywhere, tied up to a, a leash on the wall or something so he can't move. Yep. That's a Skinner's box. It's anywhere where we can restrict and control the behaviors. So when we put a dog in that table, the dog can do nothing but go forward. Because in bite work, there's a lot of bad habits that dog can do, like pulling, right? Imagine that a dog bites someone and they start pulling back. A lot of people think that's good because he's trying to pull the dog, the person into the ground. Or if they're under a car, they can pull them out of the car, right? But what they're not looking at, that a pulling bite causes way more damage. Right. It starts staring flesh. And when we're like law enforcement, they're biting people for real every day. Your department wants to cause, and obviously we want to cause the least amount of damage possible. So right. a full grip that is a full bite, you know, biting full on the, all of their teeth. And then they don't move from there. All they do is apply pressure that creates way less damage. So for liability purposes and all of that is more efficient to have a full grip. Also, mm-hmm you minimize the chances of somebody getting away from you. If you have a dog that's opening their mouth a lot and changing where they bite, what we call transferring, where they transfer from the bicep to the forearm. Sometimes they bite you in the chest. They go for your face. When they do all those transferring, it's a chance for me to get away and run away from them. I can take off. I can do whatever, right? So we want a dog that bites, bites with a full grip. Whatever they get, they don't let it go. They just hold on. That's all we want. So we are always trying to promote that in the fight when we're developing dogs. In addition to that, in, do- in law enforcement and in protection in general, we use pain compliance, right? That's why when somebody's coming from underneath the car, they're coming out because it hurts so bad that they just comply with what you're saying, okay? Sure. So whenever, every time the dog opens their mouth and bites deeper, it causes more pain, right? So whenever we like to teach the dogs, and that's what I was trying to explain on that video, that biting harder and squeezing, you know, and adding more pressure, it's always the answer to turn anything bad that's happening to them to make it go away, to turn it off. Okay. So for example, if I grab their paw and they hate it, dogs don't like getting their paws touched, right? So if the dog is in the middle of a bite and I grab their paw and now they're like, damn it, I want this guy to let go of my paw. I try to teach them bite harder cause me more pain and the second you cause me more pain i let go right right 
And then that becomes a solution to all their problems. If I'm screaming, telling them to stop, they bite me deeper, I become quiet. If I grab their flank in their skin and I apply a little discomfort and they bite deeper, I let go. So everything right. I'm doing, if they don't like it or they want it to stop, just bite me harder. And right. then that will, that will make it go away, right? So right. we have to go back to somewhere that the dog understands I win. This is something comfortable for me, right? This is something that I'm really good at. I'm sure that for you guys, it's probably the same when the dog finds what he's looking for, right? If you send him 100 yards from you and you tell him search to the left, and all of a sudden they come in contact with that odor and they're like, I'm close. In their brain, that knowing of what's going to happen next is a huge relief of stress. Yes. That's why you don't have to go, yes, good job, buddy. He doesn't care about that. The yep. fact that he found it is all the reward he needed. That's right. Okay. So as quick as we can get the dogs to that state of mind of I know what's happening, I'm about to win, that maybe next is the jackpot. That's what happens right before the, the sorry, that's when the biggest and dope like dopamine release is. Okay. The biggest okay. dopamine release happens right before the dog gets rewarded. Not after the reward. It's right before. It's the anticipation that, oh, it's coming. It's about to happen. Right. Once they get it, actually, it crashes. There's a huge decrease in dopamine after they get it. It's no different than us, right? So that would be like, to, if I could equate that to people, it's like my dog's wound like a top until it gets one retrieve under its belt. And then the rest, it starts getting in the groove and starts reacting you mm -hmm. know, better and responds better because yep. it's riding such a high that mm -hmm. they get it. And now they can come down and start thinking clearly. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's what keeps them going. Is that, right. oh my God, it's happening, right? And right. it all starts when you put him on the truck. You get yeah. up at 4 a.m. to go hunting. They never get up that early. Then they go straight in the truck and then they put the vest on. And then yes. they see you with the gun case, right? And oh, yeah. all those cues start telling them, oh, buddy, it's coming. Yep. It's happening, right? And that dopamine starts building and building and building. And then you get them out of the car and go in the blind. That's and right. they're like, I knew it. This is happening. <laughs> that is right there what they want. Sure. That's what yeah. they're writing. Yeah. Think about people in the casinos, right? Gamblers, they don't, when they win, actually they get depressed because they're not there to win. They're there to play. If right. People who are addicted to gambling, which is what we're trying to do with our dogs. We're trying to make them addicted to work like gamblers. Whenever a gambler wins a million dollars, they're just going to go spend a million five because they did not go there for the money. They went there for the ding, 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 right? Yeah. And for you guys and for us, it's that clicker. It's that gunshot going off. That's mm -hmm. that ding, 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 right? So we need to have a way, and that's where like we were kind of talking about making dogs stronger. What can we cue? for a dog to let them know, hey, this is time to go or it's not time to go. It's right. those cues, yeah? It's those cues that let the dog know you need to go. I tell my law enforcement guys that are having problems with the dogs. No, like, they show up to a track and they're like, what are we doing? Just looking around and everybody's like, soup, or telling them their command, right? Over, and the dog is like, ah, you can say it a million times, buddy, but I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. Because they don't have a routine to tell the dog, this is what you're going to do next. That's right. right. And it's My not as fun for them to do that versus the others. Bingo. Yeah. They just don't understand what's happening. They're just like, are we going for a walk? Like, what's happening here, right? right? Versus my dog, 
he's he's my dog. He's always around my house. But if you put the thick two inch leather collar on him and a tactical vest, he's a completely different animal. He right. just gets ready. And if I have the leash on the collar, he knows he's looking for explosives. But if I switch that leash from the collar and I hook it to his harness, instantly his nose is going to go to the ground and he knows I got to find a dude and bite him. No it's, way. I don't even have to say a command. Yeah, and right. I have it on video. I yeah, just, told, just literally, I put him, yep. He knows when that, I have this vest on and this collar on and the leash goes from my collar to my vest. That only happens when I'm going to go find a dude to bite. Right, And that's just so, through high repetition Exactly. Scenarios. Every yeah. day since that dog was eight weeks old and I started teaching him tracking, I put a little vest on him and the leash went from his collar into his little vest and we started doing training. Yep. And I did that since he was eight weeks old, 10 weeks old. So yep. now I don't have to say track. I don't have to say anything. Just what I'm doing. Just like in law enforcement, the second they get out of the car and they start screaming, Marion County Sheriff's Office canine, you better come on out or you're going to get dog bit. Yeah. The dogs are inside the patrol car going nuts because <laughs> they know that only happens right before I go out. Right? right. So if we have a routine that is telling the dog, hey, you're about to go do X, the dog's going to be ready to do X. And not just that, we can take the behaviors that getting ready produce and use them in situations we don't know. Right. Let me put it this way. I have some dogs that love to do bite work and they put on the harness. And when they do bite work, they're the most confident they have ever been in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So if I have the dog is struggling a little bit when we take them into a, a bear cat, the little SWAT car, right? The little SWAT um, vehicle that they do. That is an armored personnel carrier vehicle, right? A lot of dogs getting that like sausage tube with like six dudes that are completely kitted out with vests mm -hmm. and rifles. And they get the dogs get a little, eh, not so sure about being in here. But put on a, a biting vest. And you're going to see the dog get super confident because, oh, we're going to go to bite work. The thing that I love the most is happening. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm being a part, you know, like taking over that behavior to use it somewhere else that I need it. That's right. So it's a way to help myself, you know? Absolutely. So one of the th questions that I had with all these things and with every person I've had in the protection sport world is I've done my job of creating those cues and maybe I've done it too much because now A plus B equals C and D, I get the bird and they don't wait for me to say it and they go. So if you've created, I put your, I clipped you from your collar to your vest. Now it's time to go bite a dude and a, and he's tracking along and it's time to bite a dude, but there's a innocent bystander on the side. You still have to have that discipline and self-control to say, not that one, keep looking. You know, how Absolutely. do we like they, they use the word drive cap all the time and maybe even too yep. loosely. But mm -hmm. how, how do we continue to build confidence, continue to build drive, continue to build this beast of burden that we all want? Yet in the heat of the moment, still a team player, still under control and and fun versus crap. Yeah, big, I think that comes from obedience being used as a stop, not a gas pedal. Right. And I think you touched on it very well, because if, if I'm tracking, right, and my dog is running a track and I see there's a person there, the first thing I'm going to do is down. I'm putting what we call in a forward down. Wherever you are in the middle of the track, just down and slam into a down. And then I get to talk to that person. I get to call the person back or 
if I choose they're going to get bit, then I can send my dog. But that down doesn't tell the dog, you made a mistake. Stop right. doing what you're doing. Does that make sense? It tells him, oh, you got to do this first, then you get the fun. It's something right. you have to do for me first, right? And then you mentioned that drive capping, it's the most misunderstood, one of the most misunderstood terms on the industry because people think drive capping equals squashing behaviors. And if it's not, it's compartmentalizing, right? Com making those, it's like a pressure cooker. You're not telling the dog, no, stop it. You're not going to do that. You're telling the dog, hold on, hold on. Imagine a bunch of Vikings about to go loose, right? And you're like, wait, <laughs> wait. And you're trying to keep all those Vikings from breaking the line. Right. And you're like, not yet. That's drive capping. Okay. You're not telling them, no, don't go. Don't be so excited. Everybody calm down. Take a seat. Right? Yeah. You're not telling them that. Well, what You're do like, you do yes. about the biking who takes off? <laughs> and that's where you have to have your tools, right? Like right, right, right. Car, and you have to have like if I have I know that one biking breaks all the time, I'll probably put him on a chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever he takes <laughs> off, he's the end of the line. And I can tell him, not yet. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But is that drive is that you want to go? So whenever my dogs hear a down when they're in a track, it doesn't mean you made a mistake, come back. It means, oh, you're about to get it. Get ready yeah. because after that down, you get to go. So I'm always teaching the dogs, be not, be at the top of your drive, but listen because there's control, right? Yeah. But so, as long as the control doesn't break the drive to work. Yeah, that's exactly it, is the control can't break the drive to work. No, the control is the key to work. The control is what gets you to do the work, right? Now, one that's of the, the things... Way discipline. That's right. Discipline self, like not discipline being hard on them. Discipline being nope. self-control. Yes. Yeah. Self Agreed. Now, one of the things that we struggle with is, you know, how it'll like leak the, yeah. the drive will leak. Right. And so maybe it comes from yeah. vocalization or maybe mm -hmm. in your world, it's taking a bite on the handler. Um, yep. You know, like That's it, yeah, it's going to come out somewhere mm -hmm. vocalizing for us. A dog that whines or barks yeah. is a big no-no. Where mm -hmm. if they're leaking drive by being vocal in the protection sport world, it really mm -hmm. probably doesn't matter unless you are tier one special forces and the dog's got to be yeah, quiet yeah. and sneaky. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I could we see how... We call them how... SWAT dogs. Yeah, we call them SWAT dogs, the ones that are super quiet. Okay, yeah. I yeah. feel like that would be yeah. a, a good good dog to have if you're trying to sneak mm -hmm. up on somebody versus the dog exactly. that gets out and starts barking the whole time, anticipating. Yes. So we've got mm -hmm. to manipulate the situation with these dogs to build drive, ask them to do A, B, and C before they go and do the retrieve. So we're mm -hmm. capping, right? Yep. But if but if it leaks out in a negative like barking or whining man that just i mean it's literally one of the worst things a dog can do for us okay it's just barking when they're out there yeah because yeah, if so you're for us we do too you don't like that okay. either no man no we don't because i'm saying probably for the same reason because if you're sitting there and the dog starts barking everything yeah is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucks yeah same for us like for example we have a, a liability issue in the law enforcement world and it is that if you have a dog at the door when the handler is shouting commands that is barking and the handler is like so-and-so canine unit 
come on out. You're going to get dog bit. The guy inside can say, I never heard nothing. There was a dog barking. That's all I heard. Right. right? So, so we have to make sure the dogs are quiet when we're working. And it all starts with outside of the exciting work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meaning you cannot teach a dog to be quiet at a door when he knows he's going to go get a bite inside that house. It's too much. It's too high speed for him. He wants mm-hmm. to get in there way too much, right? So right. you have to start with the, whatever way you can replicate the behavior with the dog being at a lower state of mind, right? So try to find a way, like that's why we use food versus toys. Sometimes food takes a dog in a very, very slow pace of mind versus toys make them so wound up, that's right? True. Like food is slow and steady work because you flush if you go too fast and you don't get to hunt. So right. Food is a good way to always go back to food, do a little bit of shaping and, you know, start working at a lower speed where the dog is at a lower drive level. But at the end of the day, we have something. Do you guys use the dominant dog collars at all? Is that the little paracord? No? Okay. So, excuse me. So we use something that is called a dominant dog collar. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it is nothing other than a paracord that is custom made to fit. And it goes perfectly behind the dog's jawline. If it's okay. right there and it's so tight that you, you grab the little ring at the end and you pull on it and the dog, just they go quiet. They can do nothing. Right. Hmm. So we use that a lot where we put the dog into the, into the door or somewhere where the dog is at a lower speed. And we have a lot of what we call whiny shepherds, right? Like dogs that see that like leaking. Yeah. So you grab that and you put a little leash on it and you literally pull on it and the dogs go quiet. They can't. They can't talk. They can do nothing. Now, of course, they also lose their breath. So you have to make sure that you control it. But you cannot teach a dog something unless you can produce the behavior somehow before. Does That's that make right. sense? Yeah. I need to produce the quiet before I can tell him be quiet. If I cannot right. produce the quiet, I cannot condition nothing to it. Right. right. So whenever the dogs have that, that a way for me to make them be quiet, the second they're quiet, I can be gas and then send them. Okay. I can tell them, be quiet and then send them. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take that as an example and say, I got the that going. I lift up on mm-hmm. the lead, basically choke them. Yep. Now we come up the leash or we start spinning alligator roll. I mean, I know so I've dealt probably with that. Trying it. No, absolutely. You're probably trying it at a too much of a like excitement level. Like he's right? already too hot. To have- Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And this is something we talk about thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that you always train where you shoot your shotgun in the exact same spot in a little mound. You have shells all over it. That's how much you shoot in that one spot, right? The dog gets within five feet of that spot. He's probably going to go nuts because sure. he knows that's how we train, right? Mm-hmm. But 15 feet before it, he's pretty excited. He notices it, but his brain is not gone yet. Right? That's where to teach so That's the work. Bingo. That's where you work. Okay. If you're too close, his his brain is consumed by it. If you're too far, they don't notice it. They you want to yeah. find a spot where they notice it, but you still have their attention a little bit. And then gotcha. you slowly work your way up to that, you know, to the progress. So right? as you're if moving you forward, like, as you're moving forward, you're going to, you know, uh, deal with it and then back up. Yep. And then move yep. closer again and just exactly. try and work all your way to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah. And then that's something that you have to be, we call it chunking. You break it into chunks. And then if you mess up, you start at the beginning. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing, different terminology, different breeds. Exactly. Dude, I would love to, 
to come and meet you in person. Um, is there anything, I know we're getting close to our, our time limit, if not actually a little above yeah. it, but is there anything you'd like to leave everybody with? Where can they find you on social media? Um, I appreciate you. This was a really fun conversation. Good man. Same. We got to do it again. We got to, we got to do another one. I feel like I'll, I'll probably have you on my, on my, uh, account and we can have another yeah. one because we can talk about so much more. Oh, but, so um, much. So one thing that I, I, I would like to leave everyone is, is that a more like in bird dog and law enforcement, you know, we, we still have the privilege of using tools of training tools and the e-collar and stuff like that. Let's be the advocates, man, for using it the right way. Yeah. Let, let it not be our fault, the reason that we lost the training tools here in this country. So to all of the, those of you out there that get to use an e-collar, that get to use, you know, the dominant dog collar I just talked about, mm-hmm. all of those tools, man, let's do it the right way. Let's do it. Don't stop abusing dogs. Stop overdoing it the wrong way because that's how we lose them. And it's not the ones doing it right. It's one person doing it wrong, right? right? So let's be the ambassadors for these, for these training techniques and these training tools that we hold so dear and why our training is still so good in these countries because we have access to those tools. So let's try to be the best at it. And just remember, man, that if you get to work with a dog, you're in the top 1% of people in the world that gets to have the, the, you know, such a lucky job or whatever that you get to go play with your dog and you get to go use them. So let's yeah. be happy about that and, and appreciate it. You know? Absolutely. No, dude, thank you very much. That's a great point. Where can everybody find you on Instagram and Facebook and website? Absolutely. It's all the same. Carlos Ramirez K9. And that's the K and the number nine. Carlos mm-hmm. Ramirez K9. And that's in Facebook, Instagram. And the website is Carlos Ramirez K9.com. And we travel and we do law enforcement and private um, seminars all across the US, you know. So anyone that wants to reach out, that's a good place to get a hold of me. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. It was really fun. Uh, happy thank holidays you. to you and your family. And thank we'll you. definitely do it again. I appreciate it. Perfect. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. It's a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in, let's go, join the community. We appreciate it and we'll see you there. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.